Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me as Corban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. And Father, again, what happens when we take the authority? And our words become more important than your words. Lord, as we see Jesus address this today, he could just as easily address the church in the year 2019. So, word of God, speak. Continue, Father. We know as your word is brought forth that you purify your church through it, through the washing of your word. So, continue, Father, as individuals and families and the church unit, Father, to speak clearly to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes things can appear perfectly fine from the outside, but when you look at the inside, it's a different story. This could be something simple, like a meal that you were looking forward to eating, and that meal is put in front of you, and it looks great. And then you take a bite and it's like, oh. And when you taste what's on the inside, on the outside, it looked like it might be good. But as soon as you bit into it, whatever was on the inside was not quite as good. It's a car. And the car looks good from the outside, but when you start it up, well, it doesn't start. Or when you do start it up, it begins to sputter or rattle or jerk or sputter inside. There's something wrong with the inside of it. On the outside, it looks fine. On the inside, ladies, it's a guy that you date. And outside, he looks like the rock. 
And when he opens his mouth, it's more like he kind of has rocks in his head. <laughs> it could pertain to your health, where somebody looks very healthy from the inside, but there's something going on, and on the inside there's blood work and CAT scans and MRIs, and when they take a look, there's something that's going on on the inside. And though they appear healthy on the outside, what's happening on the inside, there's just something not right. Sometimes things look good on the outside, but they're not so good on the inside. Robin Williams, who spent many years making many people laugh. On the outside, everything looked fine, but on the inside, the man was dying. It's a pastor, and everything looks fine, but you've found that they've fallen, financially, sexually. It's a marriage. And you watch the couple on Facebook over the years, and there's family pictures and vacation pictures, and everything looks wonderful on the outside, but then after a while what happens is you see uh, that their status is separated, they're not together, they're divorced, and you thought everything was fine because that's how it was portrayed. It looked fine on the outside, but on the inside things weren't so good because on the inside sometimes there's a different story going on. Now the moment when God created man and he designed man after his own image, everything was perfect. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, everything was fine. There was a connection from the inside to the outside, and there was this body, soul, spirit connection. And it was fine until sin entered the world. And then when sin entered the world, things were off physically. The dying process began. When things, when sin entered the world, well, there were emotional struggles because you had Adam and Eve. Now they were fearful and hiding and blaming one another. And then there was the separation that took place from God. And so there was a total separation of the mind, body, spirit at that moment. And if that's represented anywhere, it's in this organ that we have, and please forgive me, I'm trying to adjust this. There's this organ that we have in the human body, the heart. And the heart, there's a physical component to it, there is an emotional component to it, but there's also a spiritual component to it when we think of the human heart. Okay, the heart is one of the most interesting organs in the body. A few fun facts. It says the average heart is about the size of a fist of an adult. Your heart will beat about 115,000 times each day. It pumps 2,000 gallons of blood every day. It has an electrical system that controls the rhythm of your heart. It's called the cardiac conduction system. So now any of you that are here that are pre-med today will listen to that and say, well, it's the cardiac conduction system. That's the little electrical thing that's happening in my heart. Uh, the heart can continue. This is kind of gross, but let's go with it. The heart can continue beating even when it's disconnected from the body. All God's people said, evil. All right. The earliest known case of heart disease was identified in the remains of a 3,500-year-old Egyptian mummy. The earliest case of heart disease. And so there's a physical component to the heart. And again, at the fall of man, well, the heart, well, it started, the condition of the heart physically, well, man had started the dying process, but there was also an emotional component when we think of the heart. All right, on Valentine's Day, what do we do? We find 
heart-shaped candies, right? We have a box of chocolates in the shape of a heart. Now, what they're finding now is that a lot of the way that we love, it's not really the heart, it's more the brain. But here's what you don't want to do on Valentine's Day. You don't want to hand your girlfriend a brain-sized box of candy, right? Here's like a little human brain. That's kind of gross. So, of course, we're going to stick with the whole heart thing. That's the emotional component of it. But there's also a spiritual separation when we think of the heart. When somebody rejects God, it's because of a hardening of the heart. And so there's this separation, and there's this challenge that comes with the human heart. And so that's what is addressed. At the core of most of our challenges and issues, yes, we're in a fallen world, separated from God, but when Jesus gets to the core of something, and we'll see it today as he addresses the religious leaders, when he, reject, when he addresses the religious leaders, what we'll find is most of the time, the problem that's happening is a problem of the heart. And that's what we're going to see in this conflict today. In the year 2019, there is a disconnect, even within the walls of the church, with our heart and our obedience and what God has called us to do. Um, the best evidence that we belong to God is that we're obeying God, right? The best evidence that we belong to Him is the very fact that we're obeying Him. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at two simple ideas. All right, and the first idea, I'm just going to give you these two ideas at the outset, and then we're going to unpack everything. The first idea is that things being that they can look well on the outside but not be healthy on the inside, the first point is this, is that outer manifestations without an inner transformation is a light show. Okay? So in other words, you can look very religious from the outside, all right, but without a true inner transformation, it's just a light show. And we get that, right? It's just a, a light show. But the second idea that we'll get into as we look at this is that the outer manifestations, because of inner transformation, that's a show of light. You see the difference, right? It's a show of light. You're showing light, and light is coming forth from you rather than a show that's being put on. So those are the two ideas that we're going to look through. But so we're going to unpack this as we look at the first two verses of Mark chapter 7. And it says here, the Pharisees, some of the scribes, came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. And that was the command center for the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Stop there. What were the disciples doing? Was it a matter of just not washing their hands before they came to the dinner table? No, that's not it. What's being talked about here is something that is ceremonial. And because they had not adhered to the ceremonial custom, they were considered to be defiled. They were considered to be unclean. So this wasn't a matter. So we can't look at this and say, well, you know what, Jesus is going to, he's going to correct them on this. We can't say, well, I don't need to wash my hands. Please wash your hands before you go to the dinner table. My wife's a nurse, and we know the importance of washing our hands, gloving up, and staying sterile, and staying unprotected, uh, infection control. And there's a truth to that, but here, what is being talked about is something ceremonial. And they're defiled because they're not adhering to the customs and the traditions of the rabbis. And so it says here that the Pharisees came and they found fault. Listen, they found fault. Why did they find fault? Because they were looking for it. Okay? And if you go looking for faults, you'll find it. 
In a human being, if you go looking for faults in a human being, you're going to find them. It's like going to the beach and saying, I'm going to go look for sand. You don't have to look for sand at the beach. It's all over the place. And so here they are, and they find fault in Jesus. And there are reasons that we find fault when we look at other people. And one of the reasons that we find fault is because we want to take the focus off of ourselves. Now, we had a guy who used to work in my dad's butcher shop, and he used to come in late all the time. And as the man would come in to work late all the time, well, he would come in, and he would deflect all the attention off of him. He would come in, and I was like, oh, well, the traffic was terrible, or I got into a fight with my wife this morning, and he would deflect all the attention off of him, and so he would find fault in what the other folks were doing, and the things that the other people were doing, so that he could take the focus off of himself. He would take the focus off of himself. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to take the focus off of yourself by finding fault with someone else? It's something typical. I'm sorry. Um, it's <laughs> he's taking the fault off of himself. Okay. Now that's one reason that we that we uh, find fault in someone. The other reason is this: is that we want to elevate ourselves. We want to elevate ourselves. So in other words, we want the promotion, and so we'll find fault in what somebody else is doing because we want the promotion, and we think that by making them smaller, we'll make ourselves look bigger. Somebody once said that blowing out someone else's candle won't make yours shine brighter. Blowing out somebody else's candle won't make yours shine brighter. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they had a lot to lose. by the popularity that Jesus was gaining. And so they were going to look to he and his disciples and anything that they could possibly find, they were going to hammer them for. Now the point was this, is that Jesus was the most perfect man that ever lived. He was the most perfect man that ever lived, so if they couldn't find something, they were going to manufacture something. And when you try to live like Jesus, listen... When you're genuinely trying to live like Jesus, people will try to find fault with you. But don't you go turning around trying to find the fault in others. Proverbs 11.27 reads like this, He who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. Another translation says it like this, Anyone can find the dirt in someone. Be the one that finds the gold. As Christians, that's who we need to be. Anybody can find a fault with someone. Be the one that finds the gold. The scribes and the Pharisees had an agenda. They were going to take down Jesus and his disciples, and they were going to do whatever it takes to do it. When you're living in the light, that's what's going to happen. Verse 3. says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Stop right there. Let's understand this tradition and where it came from. 
the religious leaders and the priests were actually told to ceremonial wash, ceremonially wash their hands in Exodus 30. They were told to do this. Now, what some of the priests did and the rabbis did, well, what they would, they would implement the things that they were told to do in the temple, they would implement them at home. And now when they started implementing them at home, at the end of the Old Testament, when they had not received a word from God, well, the ultra-religious folk, what they would do is they came up with these laws and they elevated these laws at times above the word of God. And when we do that, what we'll find is we get in trouble. It says here, some passages in the Talmud actually indicate that failing to wash your hands before a meal is a significant transgression. One Talmudic sage even says that eating bread without washing is tantamount to having sex with a prostitute, while another says that acting contemptuously towards this ritual causes one to be uprooted from the world. Now, most agree that these traditions were not established under any kind of um, any kind of pretenses to that had uh, bad motives. And what I mean is this: most people would agree that it's not like the rabbis were saying, "Well, how can we undermine the word of God?" Most agree that there were well-meaning men that wanted to adhere more to God's word, and so. They came up with these extra laws, but the way that they implemented them, what happened was, is that man established, what man established became greater than what God established. And when we do that, and when the church does that, we get in trouble. Again, outer manifestations, the religious show, without inner transformation, that's a show for people. That's a light show. And this light show begins with a departure from the Word of God. When the church starts getting away from the Word, and when it becomes something other than teaching God's Word, when the church begins to get away from the final authority of God's Word, that's when we begin to get ourselves in trouble, and that's when we become more like the culture. There's a local church that is doing a study right now, to study through a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a expletive. And that's their study. And what happens is this, that the church is getting away from the Word. Now this very same church, they make no bones about, a, about making sure that you know that this is a book of good ideas and it had its day, but it's kind of lost its relevance because it's thousands of years old. No, no, my friends. The Word of God is living and active and more powerful than a double-edged sword. And when the church and when the Christian begins to base our life off of our own ideas and we elevate them over God's ideas, guess what you're becoming? God. Now you're picking, well, this part of the Bible, I don't like that, but I think I'll take this. I like this. This is good. But I don't like this other part over here back in Ecclesiastes. We're back in the, no, we, we can't do that. That's why we teach the full counsel of God, because this is where the church starts getting in trouble. Oh, it's an antiquated, it's an outdated, it's an irrelevant book. Oh, we can still benefit from it. And then they reduce it. Listen, it starts to be a religious light show when we start departing from the word of God. Now, you stand in judgment over the book, and now what happens is, is what's happening in our culture, and that is that the church traditions, and what the church has become according to the culture, is becoming more important than what God commanded. Francis Chan, 
in his book, Letters to the Church, has a simple exercise that he walks church leaders through. And listen to this. There's a simple exercise I walk through with church leaders. First, I have them list all the things that people expect from their church. They usually list the obvious things like a really good service, strong age-specific ministries, a certain style, volume, length of singing, a well-communicated sermon, conveniences such as parking, a clean, sorry, a clean church building, coffee. Now that is something the Calvary Chapel Bell rate is really well with coffee. Uh, the clean church building, coffee, child care, etc. He has to make that list. But then he has them make another list. Then I have them list the commands God gave the church in Scripture. Usually they mention commands like, Love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 12. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. James 1, 27. Make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2. I then ask them what would upset their people more. If the church didn't provide the things from the first list, or the church didn't obey the commands in the second list. Yes, thank you. Ooh, ow, ah. See, what's happened is, is that the church, in catering to the culture, now the church, again, because the word of God is always going to be relevant, right? Because it's living and active. And you, and you know this as well as I do. You can read a story that you read today. You can have read it a month ago, and it spoke to you, and it was the same truth, but it spoke a different application. And then tomorrow you'll read it, and again, it'll just come alive in your heart. You'll be like, I never saw that before. Wow! And that's how the Word of God works. But when we begin to diminish it and depart from it, what happens is we become more like the culture. And now the church is more about all these things on the first list than it is on the second list. But Christ's church and what he died for came from the second list. The commands of God. Loving one another. You see, if we get everything else wrong, this is the one thing that the church has to get right. And that is the love that we have for one another. If somebody comes into the church and they don't get knocked down and healed of their uh, severe spinal problems, if they see uncommon love, it'll be different than what they see out there. In the church and without the church, it'll be different when they come into these walls. Now, in my dad's butcher shop in Long Island, and I talk about it frequently because I was traumatized by working there. Um, <laughs> if you know my dad, you understand. <laughs> Listen. When we worked there, we were trying to compete with larger stores. Okay, We were always trying to compete with the larger stores uh, where you could go and not only could you get your boar's head meat from the deli, but hey, you could pick up your shirts and you could buy a vacuum cleaner and get insecticide at the same time. You could get all of these things. Alright, so what would make our butcher shop different? Why would they come in there? When they came in, everybody knew their name. We knew what they wanted. Oh, you want the quarter pound of the beef, pork, and veal? You like your bologna sliced thin? And it was different, and it was personal. May they see the love of God here when they come into this church. May that be the thing that sets us apart, the thing from the inside. Because that's the thing that's missing in the church today. And if somebody's committed to not loving like that, and you have a hard time, you look around the crowd, well, I don't like this person, I struggle with this person, then don't come. <laughs> 
He said politely and humbly. <laughs> or not. <laughs> this is the word of God, folks. And when the first list becomes more important than the second list, when you're saying, you know what? I don't know if I'm going back to the church because the coffee was a little weak. Then let me make it. <laughs> Verse 6 through 7. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah, listen, Jesus calls them out here. And Jesus, the people that he was the harshest on were the people that were misrepresenting him. The ones that were putting on the light show. Listen, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Teaching is doctrines, the commandments of men. And that's what they were doing. This was the gist of the problem. They were sitting there in church going, Christ is enough for me. And then they go out and curse like a truck driver. These things cannot be. Out of the same well proceeds something that blesses God and then something that curses those that he created. And that's from the book of James, chapter 3. He says, your lips, that's good, they're praising me, but your hearts, they're far from me. Oh, but you would say, but pastor, that's not who I am. Who I am is who I am in church. No, friends, who you are is the person that you are when nobody's looking and when you think that God's not watching and the church accountability isn't in front of you. That's who you are. That's who you are. It's what you pull up on your phone when you think nobody's watching and nobody's ever going to see it. That's who we are. Because it also tells the world what we believe about our God. <laughs> this is very different than what we see today in the church. You see, because it starts with the departure from the Word of God. Then it starts, then what happens is an out-and-out -out rejection. And that's what the people were doing. They were partaking in the religion. They looked very religious. They had their t-shirts. They had their chains. They had. They were carrying these big Bibles, and they were, you know, and they were. They had the bumper stickers on their cars. But listen, if the only way that people know that you're Christian is by the fish on your car, if that's the only way they can recognize that you're a Christian, then take it off. Because what they see on the inside is always going to be more important than what's portrayed on the outside. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the essence of the passage. Oh, you're praising me with your lips, but it's your heart. It's a cardiac problem. Verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things that you do. And he said, all too well, you reject the commandment of God, you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, 
whatever profit you might have received from me, Scorban, that is a gift of God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Stop right there. You'll understand this if you understand that they only obeyed the law as it served to convenience them, and when it didn't, they changed the law to meet their needs, which was an utter rejection of God's word. So if Moses said, take care of your take care of your parents, they said, well, you don't have to take care of it if you do this and you make it a gift from God. Well, if I make it a gift from God, who's going to benefit? The religious leaders. And they changed it to benefit themselves. So not only was it a light show because there was a departure from the word of God, but now there's an out and out rejection of the word of God. A rejection of it. Let me show you how this happens in the church today. There's a pastor out in Washington State named Rob Bell. Yes, we will talk about it. And Rob Bell says there is no hell. That rhymed and it wasn't intentional. Okay, Rob Bell, he taught sound doctrine for a long time. But here's what happened. Little by little by little, he stopped getting away from the Word of God. And he started saying, okay, well, you know what? According to my understanding, my, there is no hell. You know that the Bible actually talks about hell more than it talks about heaven? talks about money more than it talks about both of them. But it actually talks about hell more than it does about heaven. When we start getting away and when we start rejecting it, that is very, very dangerous territory because here's who you don't want to be. You don't want to be the person that adds to the book. You don't want to be the person that subtracts to the book. And you don't want to be the person that changes the book. You just don't. That's not the person that you want to be when you stand before God on Judgment Day. And so, the outer manifestation without inner transformation is a light show. Here are some ways, some equations that you can look at to see if you're putting on a light show. One, when man's authority becomes greater than, you remember like the little sharp sign or whatever it was that they called it, was the greater than sign? When man's authority becomes greater than God's authority, that's when it starts becoming a light show. And when you think that the Bible is just a book of good ideas, rather than the holy word of God, which reveals who he is and what he desires of us, that's the first way, when you elevate man's authority over God's. The second is when you start focusing on ritual over relationship. When ritual becomes greater than relationship, it's a light show. So the first is that when man's authority is greater than God's, it's a light show. When the ritual is greater than the relationship, it's a light show. When it's a matter of what we do rather than why we do it, then it's a light show. When what comes out of the lips is not consistent with the heart, then it's a light show. When the audience is more important than the author, then it's a light show. These are all evidences that it's a light show. There's a departure, and watch how this works now. There's a departure from the Word, then another rejection from the Word, and then what you have is a powerless life, and a powerless existence, and a powerless marriage, and a powerless church when it gets away from the Word of God. It's powerless. It's powerless. And then we're in danger of hearing what is said in Matthew 7, some of the scariest words in all of Scripture. It's Matthew 7, two verses that usually cause somebody to step back and say, wow. It's Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. And it's Jesus addressing some of these leaders, saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Stop right there. Because there's so many in the church that bring those verses to me and they say, Pastor John, what if that's me? And chances are, if you're asking that question, it's not you. What if I'm the person that is that, that stands before God and he says, I never knew you. You know, I, I went to church. I served at the church. Is your heart his? And this is the beginning of us flipping the script. Remember what we said, the outer manifestation without inner transformation is a light show. So where do we start to get this right? How do we flip the script so that the outer manifestation is because of inner transformation and now we're showing light? Where does it start? It starts with relationship. He says, I never knew you, and all I wanted was to know you. I never knew you. As a matter of fact, I wanted to know you so bad that I sent my son to die on a cross just to know you, just to have relationship with you. That's why I sent my son to die on a cross. So if we want to start... Not being a light show, but being a show of light. If we want to start being that show of light, then something different has to occur. And that different thing starts with the relationship with God. The relationship with God. So knowing Him is the key. Now... There is a great story that helps us illustrate this back in the book of 2 Kings. And if you would please turn there. And it begins to help us understand, though it doesn't completely clarify, it, it will help us work towards where we're going today. 2 Kings 22. And this was an eight-year-old king. Named Josiah. And this is pretty incredible when you think of this kid's story. At eight years old, he's appointed to be the king in Jerusalem. Okay? This year, my son, April 1st, is going to be eight. And I can't necessarily fully imagine him being king over or president of the United States at eight years old. But at eight years old, it says Josiah, when he became king, well, yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> when he became king and he reigned thirty-one years old, reigned thirty-one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, and the daughter of Adiah of Boscoth. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn to the right hand or to the left. Well, the Bible tells us about this young man named Josiah was that he was seeking the Lord. And because he was seeking the Lord, one of the first things that he did when he was 16, after being a king for eight years, he had them take down all the places of idol worship because he was seeking God. Now, he, he was seeking after relationship with God. And seeking after relationship with God, he looked and he said, listen, these places of idol worship, we're tearing them down. They're coming down. And so this is an important part of us to begin to realize the, the outer manifestation coming because of inner transformation. 
All right, It's a genuine seeking of God that compels him to take down the idols. Listen, only when you are genuinely seeking God will you take a look at the entertainment that's become the idol, the job that's become the idol, the relationship that's become the idol, and you'll be willing to tear it down. Only when you're seeking after relationship with him, because you have no other reason, no other good reason other than that. Skip to verse 11. So after he'd taken down the high places, he told them, listen, go restore God's temple. And when they were restoring God's temple, it says, now when it happened, when the king heard the... When it... I'm getting ahead of myself for a second. I get so excited about this stuff. When they started restoring the temple, his men found the book of law. Moses' book of law. And verse 11 says here, Does now it happen when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. This was a sign of repentance, of frustration, of anguish. When somebody, when a king or a priest, when they tore their clothes, it was a sign of anguish. When he read the book of the law, he saw what the children of Israel had become because of their departure from the law. And so now there was a return to the law, and so he tears his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Achbor, the son of Nechiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the servant of the king. He said, go inquire of the Lord for me. For the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according all that has been written concerning us. Listen. Israel was a chosen nation, but there is some application for the United States. The United States really isn't even so much as to alluded to in Scripture. But there is an application here, and that is when a nation turns away from their God, from the God, they will incur the wrath of God. And the only way back from that wrath is revival. And revival starts with relationship and consequent repentance. And that's in an individual life, it's in a church's life, and it's in a country's life. It's in all of these things. And so... Verse 20, uh, chapter 23, it says, After the king read the words of the book, now it says, Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing, all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. You can just stop right there because in many of your Bibles what you'll see is this heading. It'll say, Josiah restores true worship. What does true worship look like? A heart turned to God. The Lord runs his eyes to and fro throughout the world seeking to show his heart strong and those whose hearts are pointed towards him. And so there's a return to true worship. But you know as well as I do the rest of the story. That again, that nation will turn from God and he will remove his presence of favor from them. So what is the application to us? Is that the law will never bring us to where we're going. The law will never bring us because James 2.10 says... 
whoever obeys the law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of all. So we need something greater than the law. And that is the relationship that is made possible when a man confesses with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes in his heart that God the Father raised him from the dead. That's the beginning. If there's going to be any kind of an outer manifestation that is given because of something genuine that happened on the inside of our heart, it will happen because we've turned our heart in relationship to God. We've come to the cross. We've said, I'm a sinner. I am in need of a Savior, and my life is yours. It's not come to the cross, get your get-out-of-hell-free card, and come to church when you feel like it. He said humbly and apologetically. Not at all. Confess with your mouth that he's Lord, and believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead. Because here's what that happens at that moment. At that moment, you become what you were made to be, a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God. Because not everybody is a child of God. All are creations of God. But we only become children of God when we repent of our sins. And that's the beginning of inner transformation. Jesus addresses this. Let's go back to Mark. Because now that he has pretty much told the religious leaders where things stand, now it says he calls the multitude to himself in verse 14. And it says, And when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand there's nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? And you have to love his relationship with the disciples. Because sometimes he would just look at them and he'd say, Why are you guys so dull? Why are you guys just not getting this? And this is one of those moments. He says, Do you not get it either? So do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and defile man. So where's the problem again? The problem is with the heart. Because you won't do these things, you won't look at that thing, you won't take in that thing, you won't engage in that thing, unless there's a problem here. Remember one thing, after David's sin with Bathsheba, what he says is, Oh Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, create a clean heart in me, oh God. Create a clean heart in me. And so it starts with the relationship, but again, once we confess with our mouth Christ is Lord, we believe in our heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, and we come to him and we say, I am sorry, I repent, I turn around, I need a Savior, that's when we become a child of God. It starts with relationship. We're going to look at one more passage today, and I'm going to ask you to go over there real quick to Luke 19. It's a story that you're familiar with. And it's the story of Zacchaeus. It says here, 
chapter 19, verse 1, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was so short of stature. Now think about this for a second. Zacchaeus was a traitor to his own people. He taxed his own people on behalf of the Roman government. And because he was the chief tax collector, he got very rich doing it. The more you taxed the people, the more money you made. So he was considered a traitor, and he was nobody's sweetheart. It says he was short of stature. And so when Jesus was coming into town, verse 3 it says, He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. Now put yourself in the crowd. All right, Jesus is attaining rock star status. And as he's coming into Jericho, you've got people lined up on either side of the road. And you've got Zacchaeus now. He heard about this, and he wants to see what's going on. Let me ask you something. If he's taxed you to death, are you the person that's going to say, oh, well, why don't you come over here? Why don't you take a look? Or maybe, that's right, thank you. You give him an elbow to the head because he was short and you could. Okay, you would give him an elbow to the head. All right, so Zacchaeus, nobody's going to let him in to see Jesus, but listen what happens next. It says, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was going to pass that way. All right, for a tax collector, dignified or undignified? Undignified, thank you. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Okay, you would do something that would make you look very undignified, right? You remember the commercials where somebody acts like a chicken or they start barking like a dog as they're walking through Walmart or something like that. They'll do something very undignified for what they want. Well, this tax collector, can you imagine his mindset as he climbs up the sycamore tree? He climbs up this tree. Do you think he's thinking, I wonder what they're going to think about me at work on Monday? He doesn't care. Why? Because he's the most desperate man in the crowd. And he climbs the sycamore tree. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. King Jesus makes the most unpopular decision he could ever make here. Right? Who is this decision going to please? Is it going to please the disciples? No, the disciples will say if he keeps... If he keeps calling tax collectors down, we'll never get to build our church. Is he pleasing the crowd when he does it? No, he's not looking to please man, because the crowd, as you're going to see later in the passage, they get very upset with him. And so nobody's happy with this decision, except Zacchaeus, because the shortest man there just became the tallest man, the biggest man on campus, the moment that Jesus looked up. How did he look up? With the crowd gathering around him, how and why did he look up? Because the crowd never allowed Jesus to lose his focus. He was the only man whose heart was ever fully right that walked the earth because he was God. He needed to be God in order to die for our sins, in order the perfect sacrifice. But he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. There's no evidence in Scripture that Jesus had ever met Zacchaeus, yet he calls him by name. And he says, I have to, I have to eat at your house. Why? Because you're the most desperate man in this crowd. And when I call you down from here, people are going to understand something about me that they never understood before. Now Zacchaeus, he comes down here, says, and he received him joyfully. 
But when they saw it, they complained, saying, He has gone to be the guest of the man who is a sinner. Jesus couldn't please anyone. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Outer manifestation, because of inner transformation, is a show of light. It's an undeniable show of light. And it's evidenced by action that a life has been changed and genuinely transformed simply because he had an encounter with Jesus. Simply because Jesus looked up at a tree, said, come down, because the Bible says, he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. But can you imagine now, Zacchaeus, this changed life, transformation because Jesus called him down from a tree. Stay there for a second. Jesus called him down from a tree, and we see true evidence of transformation because simply Jesus called him down from a tree. What do you think Zacchaeus felt when he saw Jesus hanging on a tree for him? What did that do to the heart? The same thing that it should do to your heart when you consider, wow, what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of his love? Could I ever understand it? That's the beginning of inner transformation that will result in outer manifestation when you begin showing the light. Now let's look at how this works. All right? With the religious leaders in the very beginning, what you saw was they were calling them out because a, a ritual that wasn't even from God was not being practiced. There was a departure from the word, there was a rejection of the word, and there was a powerless life. Now what you see in a story like this, you see an outer manifestation because of an inner transformation that shows light. See, one results in a power outage, and the other results in a power surge. Power surging up from the inside of you because you've been changed. Your heart has been changed when you realize what Jesus Christ did on that cross for you. And it's not something about the outer appearance anymore. It's closer to what Hans Christian Andersen talked about in his story, The Ugly Duckling. And let me read this for you to those of you that forgot the story. In Hans Christian Andersen's tale of The Ugly Duckling, it illustrates the truth that what you know and believe to be truth determines your behavior. Although hatched in the same nest as the other eggs, this duckling looked different. He was big and ugly, not soft and yellow like the other ducklings. No one could understand what was wrong with the ugly duckling. Not the mother duck, not the rabbit, not the turkey, not even the ugly duckling himself. Can you imagine what the ugly duckling might have been thinking about himself? What's wrong with me? I'm worthless. I'm such a failure. I'm not measuring up to the other ducks. The result of such thinking was depression, feelings of worthlessness, sense of failure, always trying to perform like the other ducks, and perhaps feelings of rejection. But do you remember the truth of the story again? The truth was that the ugly duckling wasn't a duck at all. It was a swan. 
Over a long winter months, the duckling had changed. It had become what it really had always been, a swan, beautiful and grace-like, more graceful like all the other swans. The ugly duckling believed that he was a duck and an ugly duck at that. But just because he thought this to be the truth, it really wasn't the truth. Indeed not. The ugly duckling believed a lie because of what he believed. His behavior was effective, so it is with us. And the parallel to the gospel is really simple. You were created in the image of God. And when man sinned in the garden, mind, body, spirit, separated from God. But I want you to listen to the last verse of the Zacchaeus story. Because Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. And for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You who were created in the image of God were separated from God. An ugly duckling, if you will. With a moment that we came to the cross and realized that we were, when we repented, sons of the living God. That's the essence of the gospel, that you are a son, a daughter of God, because you repented of your sins and you came to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that was accomplished by nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood, his blood alone accomplishes that. Not any, not the best of your human efforts, but the blood of Jesus. That's what makes a man or a woman what they were born to be. So we're going to sing a song in a moment called Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. And if somebody has never received Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, if you've never received that, never repented of your sins, never made Him the Lord of your life, and if today were to be your last day on this planet, you know that you'd spend eternity with Him. So if that's you and you walked into the room today and you don't know if you're going to heaven, you can leave knowing that you know that you know by repenting of your sins, going to the cross, becoming a child of God. Father in heaven, we just love you and we thank you again. Thank you for blessing us today, Father, with the truth of your word. Father, we pray that we are not the light show, but that, that your light bursts forth from us. And that is a show of light and genuine because there's been a transformation of the heart. But if there's one in here today that doesn't know you, let this be the day that everything changes for them. In Jesus' name. And as we sing the song, if you want to come up and if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, just come on up here and we'll say a prayer with you. Or if you need prayer today, I'm going to ask my wife to come up here. And um, if you're a gal and you need some prayer, um, you can go to my beloved. And if you're a guy and you need some prayer, you can come to me.